0: Welcome back to the official SASTA podcast. I'm your host, Harry Stebbings at HStebbings on Snapchat, and I can be found blogging on mojitovc.com for all articles on the naughty and the nerdy side of SAS, with articles including the likes of why nightclubs are the only people to truly understand customer success. And the show is provided by the godfather of SAS himself, the one and only Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter. Now, we just mentioned mojitos, and we want to have mojitos with you at SASTA Annual, so do not leave me and Jason with a bar full of mojitos just to ourselves. Join us at SAS to Annual 2017 and enter the promo code Harry. those three words, Drinks with Harry, when you purchase your tickets and you'll get a staggering 20% off the ticket price and wait for it, a free happy hour of mojitos. Oh yes, Jason, you are the man. However, having broken the record for the most time someone's ever said mojito in the first minute of a podcast, it's time to crack on with the show today and I'm delighted to welcome Michael Sharkey. Now, Michael is CEO and co-founder of Autopilot, the startup that allows you to automate customer journeys as simply as drawing on a whiteboard. Now Autopilot has funding from some of the best investors both in Australia and in SaaS with backing from the likes of Salesforce Ventures and Blackbird Ventures and prior to founding Autopilot with his two brothers Michael joined his brother Chris to grow Startup Stays into a top Australian rental booking site which was acquired by Fairfax Digital in 2006 and again by Home Away for $225 million in 2013. Michael also co-founded digital marketing agency Sharky Media where he helped grow Australian startups and I'd also like to say huge thank you to Matt Garrett at Salesforce Ventures. For the intro to Michael's day, I'm really very grateful for that. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Michael Sharkey, founder and CEO at Autopilot. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Michael, so fantastic to have you on the official SaaS podcast today. I'm extremely excited and Australian, very different for me. But huge thanks to Matt Garrett at Salesforce for the intro. But thank you, Michael, for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be on the show.
0: Now, I'd love to get started today with a two to three minute founding story of Autopilot and, and how the business really got off the ground in the early days.
1: Yeah, so I famously or infamously work with two of my brothers, which, you know, people find cool or odd depending on who you are. But we had built some startups in Australia together, mostly focused around consumer. Uh, One of those my brother Chris founded called Stays, which was sort of holiday accommodation. And those in the US familiar with HomeAway would know the the, the business model. It was very similar. And it was really creating our own startups that we had this problem that, that we also later on as consultants saw that many SMBs and larger companies have. We really wanted to automate a number of processes and the ways that we communicated with our customers or what we call today journeys in our business to create these like Amazon-like experiences. We were like, you know, what if we could market and, uh, and acquire and grow and nurture our customers just like Amazon are able to at scale? And so that was sort of the genesis of the problem that we saw, not only in our own companies that we wanted to solve, And then as consultants later, and so the company really started as a selfish project to build something that would allow us to create future startups and scale them really fast and grow them uh, extremely quickly. And then when we looked at the market for this kind of software and working as consultants, we saw that 61% of SMBs were still using batch and blast email marketing. It was like this 1990s way of marketing where you have a CSV and then you sort of treat email like direct mail and you sort of send out blasts to your customers based on, you know, different stages of the customer journey or, you know, trying to attract new leads. And it was really puzzling to us because you'd seen these companies where if they forget to do their blast or Mary's away sick one week in the marketing department, uh, you would see these falls, uh, you know, in their revenue or analytics or or lead growth based on uh, these processes, which could be automated. And then we looked at other technologies. So things like marketing automation, which was really just starting at the time, and it had very low adoption option. I think at the time, it was like three or 4% of the market in the US had started to adopt marketing automation. And it was really puzzling to us why people weren't automating these processes and trying to understand the customer better, really understand the customer identity and have these personal and contextual conversations with their customers. And so our first attempt at solving that problem was creating this platform called Bizla, which is like the stupidest name ever. And <laughs>
0: I'm, glad you, had, was, I'm like, glad you said it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was mental. I mean, it was like a code name and then we launched with it and I think everyone thought we were mental and, and we really were mental to do it. And uh, But it had a bunch of apps on it and, and these were really designed to solve all of the common problems that, that marketers faced. And you know, it, it did quite well in the first year in market. In fact some people would have kept going with it but we were really excited about growing a company really fast and at scale and, and solving uh, much bigger problems. And one of the applications in it was called Autopilot and it was really about automating the customer journey. So taking all the elements and triggers in in marketing and helping you automate everything from acquiring new leads to growing existing customers and nurturing people who weren't ready to buy. And ultimately, it was really the standout application. It became super popular. Everyone kept saying to us, why don't we just want this application? We don't want all that other stuff. And at the same time, there was really this like fundamental seismic shift in the market, which was this explosion of marketing technology. You know, the barrier to entry had been lowered and all of this great marketing technology come along and at the time, we were sort of fighting these great solutions, just like many high-end marketing automation solutions, where we were like, use our landing page editor, it's better. Even though heart of hearts, you know, it, it really wasn't. And then we saw great companies like Instapage come along and we were like, what if we could just do customer journey marketing and, and run Autopart and be the best at that? And um, it was really finding that focus that, that paid off for us. And we launched the new Autopart 18 months ago. And quite frankly, I didn't, I mean, we thought it would be successful, but in the last 18 months or something up 2000 customers were growing insanely fast month on month and it's really resonating with people and I, f- I feel like we really cracked the da Vinci code in terms of the problem we were trying to solve
0: And I want to talk about the model behind that incredible growth as you said there 2,000 customers in 18 months but I want to talk about the model and you went for the self-serve model for autopilot. So what was the kind of thought process and reasoning behind this for you?
1: Um, I'd love to say there was a lot of thought going into it. And there was. There was companies we really admired, like Dropbox and Zendesk, New Relic. I, I sort of started obsessing over these companies. I remember going to the Zendesk website and seeing, holy shit, they're offering support software for a dollar per agent per month. How the hell are they doing that? Like, how are they scaling that? You know, is this like some crazy loss leader? And uh, and why does that even make sense? And so I became a big believer in SaaS companies that sort of live between this existence of affordable and accessible. And I really love this William Gibson quote. It says, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. And I love that because I think, you know, I talked early on about the Amazon-like experience. And I think the technology has been a to deliver that kind of customer experience for so long. But you know, it, it really hasn't been affordable and accessible for the average SMB marketer to go and deliver those experiences uh, at scale to their customers. And so by having that obsession, I knew that we had to give people the opportunity to try this kind of technology, like get away from batch and blast email marketing and say, hey, I want to have a single view of my customer. I want to be able to do multi-channel marketing at scale and um, and automate some of these processes that are taking me so much time. So really, you know, the thesis was: can we offer marketing automation at five bucks a month for five hundred contacts and just let people try this? And so, you know, again, people thought I was mental, but ultimately, it's really this land and expand model. If you look at the the market today, most people uh, think that you with B two B SaaS you have to charge like a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month, and that focus means you have to go and hire a ton of salespeople, a ton of success people, uh, sometimes like sales engineers, all sorts of different roles to really not only convince people to buy at those price rates, but also sign longer term contracts and then help them implement complex technology. And so I just thought the way I wanted to buy things when I was a two or three person startup sitting in a bedroom in my underwear was how I would like to be able to buy technology uh, as my company grew. And so I was just intrigued by the opportunity to, uh, as our CMO kind of famously says, create earthquakes from basements, be able to put my credit card in, get access to this great technology, not have to talk to a salesperson or evaluate 10,000 features or commit like $100,000 of my funding to some sort of silly annual license and really get to try this technology. I think that focus actually keeps your uh, cost to acquire a customer incredibly low because you don't have the traditional people that a larger company has. So, you know, you can't really afford someone paying you 5 bucks or a 100 bucks a month for them to talk to a salesperson, you know, or have this heavy interaction with them up front. So you've really got to invest in your product, your onboarding experience, make sure that they can see value really early on. You've got to have a free trial so everyone online on the internet can access your product so it really keeps you honest. And then you've got to deliver training at scale. Um, and then on top of that, you've got to make sure your NPS is high because you need people to tell people about the product and because you can't afford to spend a lot of marketing. So you really have to uh, build content, um, focus on NPS, So people are telling others and word of mouth is high. And then any money you do spend, it has to be highly optimized and, and, and well tracked.
0: Can I ask, with such a with such a small price tag, as you said, there as low as five dollars in, in some cases when you started, I think at one point, uh, does that not kind of make for a three thousand year payback period in terms of kind of <laughs> the, the SaaS lifestyle yeah. life cycle? Almost literally. I mean, not quite three thousand, but maybe three hundred.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of what you would think, but I think you've got to understand, evenly even a company that's starting out, you know, early stage. I'm sure in your like iPhone phone book or Android phone book or Gmail even, you probably have arguably like 20 or 30,000 contacts. And if you were starting a company tomorrow, you'd probably want to start communicating with those people and talking to them and telling them, hey, I'm going to launch this thing. What do you think? And so generally it just takes away that barrier to entry, that um, affordability question of like, you know, I'm paying 50 bucks a month for MailChimp and I'd really like to be marketing more personally and contextually, but I don't want to go and spend like 30 or 40000 on these solutions and sign up for two years. So I think it takes away the barrier to entry, but what it does is it creates this beautiful expansion business because someone comes in at, say, $20 a month. Over time, they, they hopefully see the value, and, and great marketers are always growing their database. So it's really about seed planning. You're, you're uh, investing in hundreds of different companies, really, and as they grow, you grow. So you're sort of really aligned to them to make them more successful, get them up and running in the product, um, and growing them over time. I mean, we see you know someone coming in and paying us like $20 a month. And then three months later, they're paying us like $400 a month. So most of the companies that sign up will expand within three months, and we know that. So the loss leader or the, the sort of low-level entry point that's really affordable just allows them to try it and, uh, and get comfortable with the idea of customer journey marketing.
0: So can I ask, I spend a lot of time uh, with Jason Lemkin and, and chatting to him about SaaS companies, as you would, what else would you chat to Jason about? Um, <laughs> but, but in terms of pricing, he's always very, very very fond of high ACV, kind of 20, 30, you know, 40K per ticket items. Do you think then Jason's wrong in terms of stating that that is a far easier model to serve? Or do you think it's just a different way of looking at it? And kind of how was that in your thought process when you came to debate the pricing mechanism?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like just to be clear, this model doesn't work everywhere. You know, if you're selling medical software and you have about a thousand people that you can sell your medical software to, it would be insane to do this pricing model. And then if you look at a company I really like called eShares, where they allow you to like manage your cap table and like allocate shares really easily. There's so much setup involved in a company like eShares, you know, like all the legalities involved of getting it set up. It's a really beautiful, easy piece of software to use, but there's a lot of setup time. And so again, if they had these low entry points. Uh, and relied on their onboarding experience, it would be incredibly challenging to deliver a service at, at these price points. But if you have a large horizontal market, I mean, you look at email marketing, right? And every company has no excuse. They should be sending emails because it's the most effective channel. And so it exists over a large horizontal market. So your your TAM is huge. And really what you're doing is looking to grow fast, but also then uh, increase the the ACV of those customers over a period of time. And so we know that over a period of time, people will go from like 20,000 contacts to 30,000 contacts. As they grow their integration requirements will become more complex. So they'll want to use services like Segment or Connect to Salesforce uh, and various other things. And that also has a, a sort of step function in our pricing model as well. So really, it's just about keeping the pricing aligned to the value multiple that they're getting from the product. And it definitely not only reduces contraction and churn, but it makes them you know, really satisfied with the money they're paying at the, at the point or stage they're at. So uh, you get a high MPS, you get more referrals, uh, more people entering at those lower price points and hopefully growing with you over time. But, you know, as I said, like within three months, the ACV is arguably high. And in a large horizontal market, your volume of sign-ups is, is very high. Uh, I mean, the amount of trials we sign up on a weekly basis is, is, is pretty insane
0: super pleased you talked about kind of value multiple there because i've got two offshoot questions to this and that is how much to an extent is that increase in acv due to upsell and then how much is due to kind of just sheer volume increases with the growth of the companies
1: yeah so again back to sort of what jason talks about you know is that you invest in heavily in customer success and then make those customers super successful and then they you know upgrade or you upsell them or, or something like that and when you have a very very high product focus. And when you're very much focused on delivering the customer experience through the product, mostly at scale, because again, you can't really afford the people at those price points to deliver it. Uh, What you see is that uh, the upgrade path is very natural. So for example, in autopilot, if your database goes from 20,000 contacts, and then you go to a trade show and you're really successful there and you upload 5,000 more contacts, you'll actually go to the next pricing tier automatically. And so you obviously have the choice to upgrade or not. Or reduce your database size, so it's very transparent and honest. But ultimately, we have the credit card on file. With one click, the customer upgrades. You know, we see the the expansion occurring without any human intervention uh, or without any resources. It just sort of happens. That's not to say at the larger level, you know, people paying us say five, six thousand dollars a month when they have really large databases at volume. We do have people interacting with those people because it, it actually warrants it at that scale. But it's really about how. Having the the swimming lanes, the velocity business uh, being very self-sufficient and then the direct business. Having some of the typical things you would see uh, in a sort of $1,000 a month uh, price point SaaS company.
0: Okay, this is so unfair of me to ask you, but at what what ACV is human interaction and human touch points uh, justified?
1: Um, It depends how drunk you are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But really, you know, for us, it makes sense a lot earlier than you would imagine because we know the cohort, the cohort basis to which we get an upgrade. So we know, you know, if I could reliably or predictably tell you, I know a customer is going to upgrade at, say, a 70 percent rate. So seven. percent of the customers at one price point will upgrade within three months sometimes it actually makes sense to uh give those people a lot more uh interaction and and a lot of a lot of human interaction to make sure they're successful and make sure they're they're doing great things with the product because uh if you know that pushes them above say a thousand bucks a month within within three months then that's a really great thing that that we should be focused on now to make that work at scale uh you need automation and i'm not trying to like plug autopilot But what we actually do with our own product is we identify based on compelling events in the customer journey. So if you sign up and you show some particular demographics or different event based behaviors, we uh, we understand that and we allocate that to a person on our team we call an advocate today. And an automated email come from that advocate saying, hey, it looks like you're off to a great start. Um, Do you want to chat about uh, ways of using autopilot and building out customer journeys? And that has a, a link to a company I love called Calendly. And so they can just book their own time with this email. And then if they don't book it, it sends the reminder email automatically for the rep. And if they do book it, it allocates the lead in Salesforce, assigns a task. And so that rep basically comes in every day and their calendar's fully booked out. And so they can run at great uh, efficiency. They're not sort of searching for opportunities to help customers expand or, or close net new sales. And so, you know, what you see is rep uh, uh, productivity is incredibly high. So it's incredibly efficient. So you can actually interact at those lower price points. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that made sense.
0: Absolutely. No, it did. But I do want to discuss 60 seconds faster. So it's a quick fire round. 60 seconds per answer. Uh, I say a short statement. How does that sound? Great. <laughs> so let's do the biggest mistake current SaaS companies are enacting with their email marketing.
1: I think the biggest mistake is outbound, and it's probably controversial to say this, but I get probably 10 emails on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. You know, with like, I wanted to introduce you to this service, we have customer XY. Z or Z, depending on which part of the world you're from. And to me, it's just an insanely lazy way of marketing. Uh, you know, we, we this explosion of sales automation tools, people are just scraping the web and batching and blasting people at will and, you know, and sort of spraying and praying constantly. And I, I really think the most successful SaaS companies today are creating these remarkable experiences, not only with their marketing, so creating great content, but also creating addictive product experiences that really lend themselves to other people, uh, sharing them and referring them to others. And so I really think if your business, especially early on is solely reliant on bashing and blasting people, and that's your like first strategy and go to market, then you know, you really should be concentrating on other areas. I think the thing that pisses me off about it most is it's just such a shitty experience getting all these emails. And I think it reflects poorly on their brand. So I would encourage people to, you know, create great product, focus on the product experience and create great content. So people are coming to you and you don't have to go to them.
0: Okay, absolutely, Michael. Sixty seconds faster.
1: <laughs> uh, oh shit! Okay. <laughs>
0: no, I do want. To, I do want to ask you. said there about the time, and I agree. Monday morning at eight AM, I get ten two. How important is time sending, and when you send it specifically to the conversion rates of emails? Do you think?
1: I think it really depends. I mean, we see so many businesses in so many different verticals that it it really depends. And I think honestly, going through the experience yourself, uh, like humanizing it as best you can, like signing up for your own trial, filling in forms on your website, um, basically sort of secret shopping on your own uh, website or in in your own app is a great way uh, of figuring out the the actual time clicks. But for example, in in our trial, we know like the day one email is critical, day three is critical. And after day three, if you're seeing no activity, it slowly unwinds and half-lives from there down so time is critical but it really depends on time zones and the business in and what you're trying to accomplish
0: what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started autopilot
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I honestly think just focus. I traditionally have um, been so passionate about this whole market and super excited about solving every possible problem that marketers face. And it wasn't really until I focused on trying to be the best at one thing and really, you know, focusing in on customer journey marketing that I felt like, you know, we started not only succeeding, but the business started growing. at such a fantastic rate. And so I, I would encourage people to just focus on one thing and do it best and not try and compete on multiple footings. It just doesn't really work that well
0: the importance of san francisco
1: to your growth as a company uh, I think it's important to be here, especially for us. We partner with a lot of companies, so it's really super easy to just like throw a rock at their business and go and talk to them. But I don't think it's super important. I think the internet's such a, a remarkable channel and a great way of distributing your uh, your SaaS product or, or, or service. And so, you know, we operate in three locations. I have a world view, but I still think uh, having a presence in the U.S., given you know most of our customers are here, is is critically important.
0: So, so in this role that I have, I speak to. Many- investors and founders and they all say that within SaaS, the secret to success is minimizing churn so i'd love to ask how you you approach churn and i know you focus 100 percent on net retention so what does this approach look like for
1: you yeah so for those out there that are like what the fuck is net retention it's just the current mrr divided by the initial mrr Times 100. So the easiest way of thinking about net retention is if uh, a customer gives you $1, a dollar, a 12 month net retention at 120% would mean that it's now a dollar 20 at the end of 12 months. And so to me, that's a fantastic business because No matter what happens with contraction or churn, I know with net new revenue and expansion, I'm actually growing my customer base and existing customers are reinvesting. So that's why I obsess over 12-month net retention. And a lot of – if you look at sort of the best velocity SaaS companies like Zendesk and New Relic, they they have really high high rates of net retention. I think it's SaaS are actually – I think it was new relic said their net retention was around 127 percent which is absolutely amazing so i think why we obsess about it is in the smb world you can have higher churn rates uh typically hubspot's a great example of that because smb's frequently go out of business uh, more often than say their enterprise counterparts you know without sounding again like some sort of huge pug, we use autopilot pretty heavily to map the customer journey and really focus on building these journeys around uh, everything from when people trial to onboarding to um, making sure, you know, they refer people to us. And by focusing on those components of the customer journey, uh, we're able to sort of mitigate churn and contraction. So a good example of that is if we see usage dropping in the application, so people aren't sending emails anymore, we're able to automatically re-engage them. And, you know, if I talk about sort of that higher MRR business that I spoke about earlier, we're able to engage them with a person and really understand what's going on. And then at the lower end, we're able to look and say, okay, well, they haven't added the tracking code to their website yet, so let's send them an email and tell them the benefits of doing that. And so by automating those processes and focusing on all of those reasons why people might contract or churn from our product, uh, we're not only able to enhance the product, but we're able to enhance the experience around you know problems or issues where they may have otherwise churned. And so I think having a laser focus on it's really important. Talk
0: to me in terms of the decision making process, because uh, SMBs obviously have a much shorter uh, and more flexible uh, decision making process than corporates uh, and much larger entities. Does that make a big difference for you in terms of challenge to retention in terms of it's easier to lose SMBs because, you know, someone can very easily say, no, we don't need this anymore compared to a much larger organization where there's regulation and hierarchy to go through?
1: Yeah, I mean honestly, I think it keeps you honest. There's so many companies that come to us and they've been using some like monolithic provider where they sign a 3-year contract and like maybe a year in or 6 months in they were like, "Holy crap, what have we done?" You know, so I think it keeps you honest and I think it means you have to build really great software that that is helping customers see a return on investment, really delivering for them. So some people see that as a negative, I see it as a positive. I'm like, you know, it forces us as an organization to keep building the best product Stay focused, try and get a really great ROI and try and get people sort of deeply embedded in our ecosystem and get value from that. So, you know, I think it's ideal to for, for a lot of investors to say, oh, they've got like, you know, 100 three-year contracts. But I don't necessarily see month-to-month payment as a negative thing. And, uh, it, you know, as long as we're seeing great results mm-hmm. that, that we're achieving with our customers.
0: Well, Michael, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today and to hear about the autopilot journey. Seriously, it has been fantastic. Huge thanks, as I said, to Matt at Salesforce. But thank you so much for joining me. Stay.
1: Yeah, Harry, thanks so much for having me and thanks for doing this. I mean, it's such great content. I, I listen all the time and it's really helpful for people like me. So thank you.
0: A huge thank you to Michael for giving up the time today to come on the show. And I have to say, it's such an awesome feeling for me personally. To have someone I respect as much as I do Michael say they love the content really means a lot. And if you love the show today with Michael, then do not stop at the podcast. Head over to Sasta and buy your Sasta annual 2017 tickets. For the first year ever, these tickets come with exclusive membership to Harry's Drinking Club. Yes, I did just make that up. All of you who do just enter the promo code drinks with Harry, those three words, drinks with Harry, when you purchase your tickets and you'll get an awesome 20% off the ticket price and membership to The Drinking Club, where you'll receive a happy hour of mojitos, courtesy of Mr. Jason Lemkin, who you can also find on Twitter at JasonLK, and you can add me on Snapchat at Hstebbings. As always, I so appreciate all your support, and I really cannot wait to bring you next week's shows.